0: Are you a clinic owner, or have thought about owning a clinic yourself? Well, if so, you're going to want to listen to this episode of the Concast. Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday to you. My name is Connor Collins. I'm a registered massage therapist, sports injury therapist, and welcome to the Concast, a podcast where we discuss all things health, wellness, and injuries in an attempt to better understand the human body. Rolling right along through season number three, this is episode 109. For today's episode, I want to talk business. I've been talking to a few people this week about just topics of interest. Many people have been discussing business with me over the past few weeks and months, asking questions, we're just having conversations. Not really sure why, maybe it's just a bit of a phase, but what I thought I would do on today's episode is take a look back at my years in operating a clinic and giving some tips as to what I think are important elements to consider and or reflect on. When operating a clinic. So just to give you a little bit of a backstory, I currently operate a clinic with two business partners and I have been at the clinic for 15 years and throughout my time there my business partners have changed over time. So I started business operations in 2007 and our clinic had already been around the community for several years at that point. So when I started business shortly after graduating school, I was really young. I was 25 years old, and I had bought into a practice, and subsequent to that I bought into kind of the operational aspect of a clinic as well. And it was an opportunity that was presented to me, and I just really went for, and I didn't really seek that much advice. I mean, I certainly talked to people in my inner circle, friends and my parents and such, but I didn't really know anyone just because of where I was at in my career that had operated clinics before or even really a lot of therapists that had been doing it for a while, and so I just kind of went for it. And as a result of that, being a clinic operator at quite a young age, I've learned an awful lot over the years, mostly through mistakes. Our clinic at that time was quite small. There were five practitioners, and we took all our scheduling on on a paper schedule. We took payment mostly by cash and check. There were five therapists working there. There was two administrative staff And we were only open three days a week, and we only had administrative staff three days a week. We operated on this Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. And so our front-end staff would come in on Monday and collect the messages from the weekend and so forth on Wednesday and Friday. And over the years now, 15 years later, we have 14 therapists at our clinic. We've got five front-end staff. So the total number of people that work there is close to 20. So we're looking at four times the amount of staff. And now we've got basically representatives from all disciplines of medicine and, and peri in our clinic. The other thing is that operationally, we are basically operational seven days a week, and we have administration six days a week or five and a half to five and three quarter days a week. So we have scaled in 15 years probably four to five times in terms of the number of practitioners that we have, the number, uh, the, the revenue number that the clinic is generating. So it has grown quite substantially and even in the last four years it's really scaled quite a bit. I've kind of learned about how clinics grow through being part of the evolution. My first tip is if you're considering either opening your own practice and maybe you're a younger therapist, maybe you're a seasoned therapist and you're thinking about going out on your own, or you're thinking you've had an opportunity to maybe buy into a practice or buy into a clinic. The biggest piece of advice of this, maybe this entire episode that I can give you is find a mentor to help you facilitate that process if there's anything that I would have done differently, I would have tried to lean on someone that had done this before. Mainly because I was so young. And now I'm very well-versed in kind of clinic operations and helping to manage people and business and all the different arms and elements of operating a business. But I was really thrown into... The fire so to speak in several ways as a a young business operator that looking back some of those positions that I was put in I probably wasn't meant to be put in and it would have been helpful if I had a mentor to allow me to recognize that and the converse of that is it would have also been helpful if the people that were putting me in those positions were able to mentor me a little bit as well first and foremost is is get a mentor and have some guidance into what it is that you're about to undertake either as a sole proprietor or a business owner and why and why are you doing it and What help do you need along the way? So that's number one, is is have somebody to lean on. Number two is understand growth and what is the purpose of that growth. So one of the things, and I've said this on other podcasts, is many students, when I'm teaching them, are really attracted to the operating a large clinic. They come in and they ask, oh, well, you've got quite a big clinic and you've been doing this for a long time. That must be really great and rewarding and awesome. And I'm not suggesting that that is not the case. It's definitely rewarding and great and awesome. But having an understanding of why do you want to scale to the level that you are scaling is a great starting point. I always say to people that the most profitable easiest to run practices are single operator practices in your home. And that can really be done across all disciplines, whether that's chiropractic, physical therapy, or massage therapy. If you have a space in your home that you're able to do that, your overhead is essentially nil because it's in your house. You have the benefit of writing off the clinic space within your house and your overall profit, Margins are almost at 100% minus a few operating costs day to day. I've been asked this question by other people, and I think it is really valuable. Why is it that you want to grow and scale a business? What is it that you enjoy or think that you enjoy about that? Is it money? Because at a certain point of scaling, the profit margins start to tighten. So what that means is the amount of work that you're putting in, you're starting to get less money back. And that's obviously business dependent. That's also dependent upon the market and how you're operating the business, how successful your business is. And so it's not true of all scenarios. However, the the larger your business grows, the more responsibility you will have towards it. So understanding the Element of growth and why that may or may not be important to you is something to consider and if you can't really answer that question so you don't really know why you might want to operate a large clinic you are fine in operating that single operator sole proprietorship home practice which i think is and i'll reiterate this fact over and over when people talk to me about it is it is a really great profitable business structure for a therapist across any discipline are there downsides to it yes but there are downsides to every kind of operating structure of a business number three is understanding that you will never please everyone and i think that this is true for all aspects of life but when you're in business there will be decisions that you will have to make that will make some people happy and and other people not, or it will make the majority of people happy, or the majority of people upset, and vice versa. The reality of it is, sometimes a decision just needs to be made, and people may or may not understand all aspects of that decision, depending upon the information that you provide to them. At the end of the day, it is your business that you are operating, and you are the one can often make the decisions. And so understanding all elements of the decisions that you're about to make is important. Looking at why you're making the decisions and through what lens are you making the decisions through? Are you t- are you making it through a business lens? Are you making it through a moral, ethical lens? Are you making it through both? One of the things that really irks me that I hear a lot is, oh, it's just business, don't take it personally. And the reality of it is, is that if you have a small business, and you're building it, and you have morals, and you have a conscience, most of the business decisions that you make, you take morals and ethics into account. And if you don't, and then someone comes back to you in a negative way, and you just say, whoa, whoa, whoa! it's just business, don't take it personally, then you really don't have much of a leg to stand on. So I really push back quite a bit when people say, oh, it's just business, just make the decision. I think that if you're looking to build a business where the people that are within it are enjoying themselves and you want to see them move forward as well and you want them to be there for a long time, you want them to build fruitful practices or have great opportunities and maybe mentorship themselves, I think that there's always some type of moral, ethical, questioning that goes into business decisions in saying that be prepared that you will never please everyone and further a lot of the times when businesses become more and more successful and they grow and they scale and the number of people that work within the business increase that's also an opportunity where you might not please everyone even more because the more people that there are the more diversity in decisions or how decisions are made are looked at the more experiences are brought to the table. Number four is one that I've taken some time to have to come to reckoning with, but when I did, I think it was an important learning experience for myself. When there's a problem, it's your responsibility to fix it. It's not the person within the business to fix it. And so let me kind of unpack that a little bit. So I've had a number of discussions with colleagues of mine, a number of discussions with former students and colleagues that have, or students rather, that have become colleagues over the years. And what I have noticed, and I used to do this myself, is when a problem occurs in the business, let's say you have some practitioners, and those practitioners decide to leave for whatever reason. Maybe they're moving, Maybe they have a better opportunity elsewhere. Maybe they're leaving the profession. It doesn't necessarily matter. When a practitioner decides to leave, often what will happen is we will look to the practitioner to solve our problem. So we might say, oh, you gave me two weeks. Can you give me more time? Can you give me a couple months? Oh, do you know anyone it's another therapist. And that's that in and of itself isn't necessarily a a bad thing because you're just starting to get your gears turning. But we might also then look to other people within our business and say, Oh, we're losing revenue from X place. Can we pull it from somewhere else in our in our business? Can we kind of take from someone? to to balance out our budget. When I realized that I need to stop doing this from a business perspective, I need to look through a different lens. What I need to recognize is that there is a problem within the business and I have to find a solution. It's my responsibility to find a solution. If somebody decides to leave my business or if somebody decides to leave a practice then what I should do is I should hope the best for them. I should tell them that I've appreciated their time that they've devoted to the clinic and start to then develop a strategy around, okay, how do we safeguard this? Do we have someone we can hire? What I don't want to do is to try and hold on to that person if they don't want to be there. I don't want to try and... Disrupt the apple cart within my current clinic to offset costs. I don't want to Remove things from current staff to offset costs that are really valuable to them Because I am the business owner and therefore when the business is running Properly and profitably I benefit and when the business has problems I don't benefit and that is one of the realities of running a business so Trying to look outward to solve problems and not taking this approach of trying to cut costs that disrupt the current state of the clinic. I'm not necessarily sure if I'm doing a great job of explaining this, but I guess what I'm trying to say is other individuals within your current business, I do everything that I can to not allow their current circumstance to suffer if possible based on the fact that something has occurred within the business that we need to fix. We want to try and put in processes and procedures in place to try and obviously safeguard losses or minimize disruption. But again, as a business operator, it's our or your responsibility to try and provide those fixes. And this kind of takes me to my next point, point number five, which is, allow people to thrive. One of the things that we have prided ourselves in over the years in operating a clinic is this idea of of being autonomous and coming in and being a subcontractor and, and receiving all of the benefits of being a subcontractor if you are one, but also if you are an employee, having autonomy, having the ability to... Organize your schedule amongst the work group that you're part of. We don't necessarily look at things like we don't heavily police time off. We don't um, need to necessarily even know who is taking time off when as long as the schedule is covered. We want people to thrive in their career. This might mean that they work at multiple clinics. This might mean that they teach. This might mean that they have other business avenues and opportunities. And our philosophy there is if someone has the autonomy to do what they do in their career and they are successful financially, they will continue to be a part of the business that we operate. And we also have a policy of if there's something going wrong, ...within your business or you want to see something done differently... ...then please let us know and we'll entertain that. One of the things that I think I've been able to observe over the years... ...is there haven't been a lot of people that have left our clinic. Most of them are either moving, leaving the profession... ...or moving to open up uh, a new business themselves. And all of these things are great... Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to realize that at the time because, again, if somebody leaves, it potentially creates a problem, quote-unquote problem for you that you have to fix, and that creates stress, etc. But the reality of it is, is that if someone has built a fruitful career within your practice, then they want to continue it elsewhere. That is also amazing. So allow people to thrive. Allow people to have careers, not jobs. Allow people to have careers. And understand as well that some people may use your clinic or your business as a stepping stone for something else. They might move on to school. They might be a student and they're coming in to work as administrative staff, understanding that they probably won't be there forever. They're coming in to gain some experience. Maybe they want to work in healthcare themselves. Maybe they come in as a co-op student and then they get a job and they move on to university. All of these things are are positive things, you're playing a role in somebody's development, and you want them to have a fruitful career, or at least I do. And so allowing people to thrive, be autonomous, both in their careers and and financially, is something that I've always tried to make a priority for myself, and has seemed to pay back endlessly a number of times. So that's number five. Point number six, if money is your bottom line, it will affect your bottom line. So what do I mean by that? If we're always focused on dollars and cents, it's going to affect our ability to make money. Sometimes clinics are slow. Sometimes clinics are busy. Sometimes expenses go up. Sometimes you bring in new people that require training. Maybe they require a little bit more Uh, money than you've been paying maybe previous therapists or previous front-end staff sometimes you need to invest in equipment sometimes you need to invest in software and if you are always worried about the money it's going to affect your ability to make money you hear this time and time again from every business advisor that you will research is that to grow your business number one you have to treat it like a business not a hobby And number two, you have to invest in your business to grow into it. And sometimes this is easier said than done, particularly when you're starting out. But that's one of the reasons why I give that advice of starting as a single operator, because your overhead is substantially reduced and you can start to save some money and then continue to build it over time. Our priority has always been to create places that are community-based for the people that we see as well as the practitioners that we see. And money has come as a result of that, both for the practitioners within the business as well as the operators for the business. Sometimes it takes the runway to get there is a little bit longer. I'll go into some of the changes that our business has made over the last few years that have cost money. But I think the return has been huge as well. It's just the recognition that sometimes you have to spend money, evaluate the process if the process is poor, then remove it. A lot of the time we can hmm and ha over decisions and we can weigh pros and cons, but at the end of the day, a decision has to be made, and I always say whatever decision that you make is the right decision because it's the decision that you made. You can't regret making a decision and then something going wrong. It was the right decision. You made it. Be okay with it. If it ends up not working out, make another decision, be okay with that, and eventually things will start to move along the right track. That's the thing. You can take everything that I'm saying in this podcast, you can implement it, and parts of it will work and parts of it won't. Every business coach that's out there will give you strategies on things to to use, and everyone seems to have a varying, varying opinions on things, and everything that you impl- implement... Some of it's going to stick and some of it's not based on your business. And so being okay with just making those decisions, I think, has been a really valuable lesson for me. The seventh point kind of relates back to point number five. And I think that this is something, again, that over time I've gotten really good at because I see what we do as sometimes being a stepping stone to people moving on. So when people move on, that's okay. And be proud of that. Be proud of the time that they spent with you. Be proud of the the role that you played for them in their career. And start to implement, again, the next step. The other thing is that sometimes things don't work out and people move on. Employees or subcontractors move on and there's tension built in those relationships. Or for whatever reason, things just don't really work out the way that you had planned them, even though your intentions are were Uh, positive and that's okay as well sometimes that has something to do with you and sometimes that does not but if these relationships sever and sour what I've heard from other operators is that sometimes they feel as though those people should be held accountable for for what they've done to the business and a lot of the time I kind of think the opposite and this is just again, a personal philosophy, I'm not necessarily speaking from any particular one experience, is that if things sort of sever in a way that isn't the best, then just allowing that to to move on and pass and being okay with, again, making that decision, I think has been more valuable for me than letting it fester and trying to find ways to maybe hold people accountable for their actions. One of... The pieces of advice that I've been given that I think has been really helpful is people are always trying to do their best and people are always going to make decisions that are generally the best for them. And when you realize that, it kind of takes away a bit of the sting sometimes if you're in situations, not necessarily even business situations, but just personal life experience, that when people make decisions, they're trying to do their best, number one, and number two, generally people will make the decision that is best for them. And if you played a small role in their career, it was really, really short-lived, then be okay with that. Be proud of them and allow them to move forward with whatever business or personal venture they decide to. Number eight, after all of the years of being a business operator and even with the advancement of technology, websites, Instagram, Facebook, social media, newsletters, Word of mouth is still the best way to grow practice, by far. Talking to people, particularly people that you already treat, treating their family, treating their friends, allowing them to be a verbal testimonial for yourself as they move throughout their own life. Going to events and networking with people, seeing somebody there that you treat. They will generally introduce you to other like-minded people Going to events that you have a vested interest in. Maybe you are really interested in yoga and you can go and do a a talk or a seminar there. Maybe you're a soccer enthusiast and you can go to a training session, or you can offer a piece of content to, say, a soccer association, or you can go to a, a coach's meeting and present. This is still the, the best way to operate a practice. It comes across as the most genuine. It allows you to form really strong relationships with people from a business standpoint. And what you want is those people to continue to build your brand and your business for you. I have said this on other podcasts as well, looking at the lowest hanging fruit, which is the people that are already coming to you and entrusting you of your services, and then asking them, do they have anyone in their inner inner circle that would be needing a therapist or needing to come to your clinic or your business? I think a lot of the times as business owners, operators, whether we're a single therapist operator or a multi-practice operator, we often look towards new business And how is it that we can maybe use some of the existing business in a different way or allow our existing business to help build new business for us without going through the often costly process of lead generation? And while there are benefits to using technology, things like Google ads and Facebook ads and Instagram ads, those are often costly methods where word of mouth for you in the context of a single treatment session is free. So if you are treating somebody and they have knee pain, oh, just to let you know, I'm still building my practice. I'm taking on a few new people. If you have anyone in mind, it'd be greatly appreciated. That single conversation can really, really help. I think that even myself, sometimes after being in business for many years, I even lose track of the simplicity of that conversation. So word of mouth, still by far the best way to build a practice. Now, in saying that, point number nine is optimizing the operations of your business and using technology to your advantage. So what do I mean by that? So for single operators or multi-therapy clinic operators and owners, using a clinic booking software that allows you to integrate notes and get rid of paper files can be a massive one. A lot of these softwares that are out there are really, really great at setting reminders, creating wait lists. We just moved ours, and this isn't a sponsored Add, but we've moved to Jane app for just over a year now. Everyone told us to do it. We were, I wouldn't say we were resistant to it, maybe we were resistant to it, but eventually we did it. And it was probably two to three times more than we were paying for our last patient management software, but a hundred percent worth the increased expenditure. It is streamlined using. Digital softwares, again, allows you to get rid of paper. Um, This is great just for day-to-day operations because you don't have to go through shredding all of the time. Again, the bigger the clinic is, uh, typically the more um, resources are set towards just kind of managing paper and there's it can be messy and it can just affect the flow of the clinic. But optimizing this to the best of your advantage is really really helpful even in terms of payment processing so if you're maybe only accepting say check or maybe you don't do direct billing or maybe you only accept cash can I move to a terminal and upgrade technology that way what are the advantages disadvantages of that what are the overhead expenditures people really really like convenience people like appointment reminders people like to be able to schedule appointments online now on their own so probably my biggest one would be moving to some type of patient management software then just optimizing the the rest of your operations i think as business owners this probably isn't something that we consider a whole lot have you ever gone to the front of your waiting room and sat there as a patient what does it look like to them It is quite a weird experience. I've done it a few times myself, and you never really do that, so you don't necessarily know what they see. What is the flow of people through your clinic? Do you have multiple waiting rooms? If you don't, could you? Would that be of benefit? What is the flow down the stairs if you're in a basement? How does the clinic look? Do you have a retail space? Do you not? Do you want one? What is the benefit of carrying products to sell in the clinic? All of these type of things are great to consider if you're not doing them and also great to consider if you're currently doing them to see if there's a way that you can either make your operations more efficient just for the simple flow of people in and out of the clinic, make it a little bit more enjoyable for your practitioners, or even optimize it from a profit margin standpoint. You can also look at it like that. So that's number nine, optimize and use technology to your advantage. The last one, again, something that I have learned over the years and I think it's been really, really beneficial when you're in scenarios where it allows you to do this really, really effectively and efficiently is where your business will thrive the most and that's work to your strengths and let others do the same. So a lot of the time, especially if we're a single operator, we wear multiple hats and some of those hats are easier to put on than others. For example, I'm pretty comfortable with software, technology, fairly comfortable with marketing, fairly comfortable with interpersonal relationships and, and that type of thing. Um, one of the things that I'm not good at is things like maintenance, merchandising, design, those types of things. I've got a very analytical brain. I don't have a very artsy brain. There's also elements of all of the things that I mentioned that I'm good at, that I'm better at, and things that people that I work with are better at. If you are a single operator, it's even more difficult because you don't necessarily have, say, a partner to lean on. If you have a partnership and a well working one everyone can play to their strengths and it makes the collective even more powerful if you're a single business operator and you have something that you're really not good at i would suggest looking at methods to farm that out whether that's paid help or getting say a co-op student that can come in that's really good at something but looking at the things that you're really really good at and focusing your strengths there allows less stress for you It allows your business to operate more efficiently. It makes people that are within it happier, whether that is the people that you serve or the current subcontractors and or employees that are involved in your business. But really, really focusing on what you're good at. Give me more of that. And having a discussion, if you're in a multi-operator scenario, that like, look, I'm not very good at this. Is, Is anyone able to either help me or take this on and I'll trade you for X. And allowing everybody to play to their strengths creates less stress for everyone involved and allows everybody to flourish in the business. And sometimes this takes time, especially going back to the start of the episode where I was a very young business operator. I don't know what my business strengths are. For that matter, at 25, I didn't even really know what my strengths were. I had to learn all of it on the fly And then sometimes as even, let's say you learn that you're not good at something at 26, say, maybe you're too young to admit it and you continue to do it. So independent of where you're at in your career, whether you feel as though you're a newer operator as part of a partnership or you're a new operator as a standalone practitioner, but you realize, look, I've been doing this for a year. I'm really not good at this element of the business, trying to find solutions Making a decision about it, being okay with that decision can really, really take a lot of stress off, allow you to breathe and then focus on continuing to build. So those are the top 10, I guess, tips that I've learned over the years of being a business owner and operator. I guess in closing, the one thing that I'll say as well is the business will ebb and flow and I know that we have seen plenty of that over uh, the last couple of years where businesses will be in all sectors, can be they can have slowdowns, then they can really, really ramp up, they can slow down again, or they can go on for prolonged periods of of kind of latency or slowness. And just trying to, in those periods of slowness, try and enjoy the fruits of your labor, maybe take some downtime. Continue to have things that interest you outside of business. Continue to maybe enjoy time off or enjoy time with family or friends. I know and several of my colleagues over the years that I've spoken with, as business operators, particularly in healthcare, maybe it's across all business ownership, I think a lot of business owners have this inherent fear that the phone is going to stop ringing and people are going to stop coming. If I'm being honest, that's still something that is a kind of a back, far back now, but it is a fear of mine. And I think that because generally people are really passionate about the businesses that they own and operate and they put a lot of work into it, so it would naturally potentially be a fear um, but understanding that, generally speaking, everything as an entrepreneur will ebb and flow, and we like to think of things as a linear pro- progression, but it's much more of this kind of undulating roller coaster that we're on, and generally speaking, things seem to move in an upward direction. So my question for you this week is, over your years as a business owner, and maybe you're new to business, or maybe you've been doing it for forever, what is a tip that you've learned that's been really valuable for you? Feel free to leave it in the comments below. As always, folks, I hope that you found this episode to be of value to you. Have a great weekend, and we will see you in the next one.